Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. If you have your Bibles, whether you're here in the room or online today, why don't you grab them and turn to Mark chapter 1. And uh, I'm going to get right into it today and read our teaching text as we begin a brand new series that will take us throughout the rest of the fall, a series called Jesus is King. I'm going to try to introduce this series for us today. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 14, it says this, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When, they, when he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and followed him. Jesus, we pray today as we come around your word that this wouldn't just be an exercise that we sit through to kill some time, but I ask that our hearts would engage with what the Spirit of God wants to say to us as a church through your word. Speak, Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. 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 Do you ever know those scenarios in life where you just need all the right information to be in the right place in order for the outcome to make sense. I don't know. I remember like being in high school and doing math and I did okay with math until they introduced the alphabet into math and then I got confused. But when I was in high school, I remember you could flip to the back of the book and get the answer, right? You could do that. But just writing down the answer wasn't enough. You had to remember you have to show your work. And that was where it always got hard. If it was just writing the right answer in the back, from the back, that would have been an easy thing, but you had to show your work. And if you didn't have the right information in the right place, the outcome wasn't right. The outcome didn't make sense. What's that thing, that piece of information in our lives? Because here's the thing, all, all of us are asking big questions of our life in one way or another. How do we make sense of our lives? What do we look to for hope? How do we make sense of the world and all that's happening in the world? How do we know where history is ultimately moving? Where do we look? I want to make a statement that I think we'll unpack over the course of the next couple of months together to become more clear to us. But this is something that we believe really deeply is this, is that the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus is the central event in all of history. It's this event that everything else hinges upon. It's this event that makes sense of every other event. The story of the world and how you and I fit into it is most clearly seen and understood through the life and lens of Jesus of Nazareth. It's his life that makes sense of everything else. It not just makes sense of the rest of the Bible, though it does that, but it makes sense of our lives. It makes sense of history. It makes sense of what we experience in this life. It makes sense of the human condition. It makes sense of the longings of our heart. And so over the course of the next couple of months, we're going to bring our collective attention as a church across all campuses and all services to the person of Jesus. 
And that sounds funny because ultimately every time we gather, we're bringing our collective attention to the person of Jesus. But as we bring King Jesus into greater focus in an intentional and particular way over the course of these next weeks, our heart and our hope is that the rest of our lives will step into greater levels of clarity as Jesus becomes more clear to us. As we see Jesus, not just as savior, but also as king of our lives. In the gospel of Mark, the first words we hear out of the mouth of Jesus are an announcement. An announcement that something was about to happen. An announcement that a shift was taking place at a cosmic level. An announcement about good news. An announcement about a kingdom. I'll remind us of what we just read a moment ago, but in Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, it says, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Mark, in his gospel, he just gets right to it. Not too concerned about the Christmas story, doesn't really care about the angels at night, like not his thing. He's like, let's get to what Jesus said and did. And this is what he picks up. The first words we hear out of the mouth of Jesus in Mark's account of the gospel is a declaration, an announcement about good news. Jesus says, this good news is this, that the kingdom of God has come near. And in other parts in the Gospels, it says, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is at hand. It's close, it's drawn near. And this represented a radical shift. But this begs the question for us. What is the kingdom of God and why is it good news, as Jesus says? See, the kingdom of God, we can understand it, we can begin to understand it as we compare it to the kingdoms of the world there's similarities to it in the sense that the kingdom of God has a culture. The kingdom of God has systems and ways. The kingdom of God has principles, has authority, it has values. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God. It's where God is king. It's the ways of heaven. It's the values of the heart of God. It's his principles. It's his vision. It's his definition of what is true and right and what is reality. The kingdom of God is heaven. It's the place where God dwells. And although we can begin to understand a little bit of what God's kingdom is like by comparing it to what we know from kingdoms of this world, as we begin to look at the nature of the kingdom of God, we see that there's a lot of differences In fact, in almost every case, God's kingdom is upside down from the kingdoms and systems and values of our world. See, in God's kingdom, if you want to be rich, you give everything you have away. In God's kingdom, if you want to be first, you become last. In God's kingdom, if you want to be great, you become a servant of everyone. In the kingdom of God, it's the poor in spirit who are blessed. In the kingdom of God, it's the meek who inherit the earth. In the kingdom of God, it's those who mourn who are comforted. In God's kingdom, it's the pure in heart that see God. It's upside down from the values and systems that we see in our world. And if you go all the way back to the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we get this window, this glimpse into what the kingdom of God was meant to look like on earth, what life and what the world was meant to look like. 
And we see this picture of a world created by a loving God where all relationships were made whole and right. And it gives us this understanding of what things were meant to look like. We were created to live in a world where we experience harmony with God, harmony with ourselves, harmony with others. And that was possible because God was king. We submitted to his authority and his rule. We were created to live under the rule and reign of a good and loving God. We were designed as human beings to submit to his authority and his ways as the author of life. But in Genesis chapter 3, it tells the story of how humanity turned away from God. And in, in a sense, what we said is that we wanted to be our own king. We wanted to be the leader of our own life. And instead of having God as our authority, instead of having God as the king of our lives, we chose the way of self. We chose the way of self-centeredness. We put ourselves in the center of our own kingdoms. And the devil deceived the first humans to believe that we could build a kingdom of our own in our own image. And the results of trying to be our own kings, our own authority, the results of rejecting our king and his authority brought devastation to all of creation. And we see it and we experience this devastation. We know it at a deep level. Did you know that the world is not meant to look like it does? There was a different way. But why do we see and have the problems of the world today? Why do we have brokenness and poverty why do we have relational breakdowns, inequality, racism, classism, abuse of power, homelessness, sickness, all of these things? It's because we've tried to be our own kings. We've tried to do it our own way. We've attempted to build our own kingdoms. And whenever human beings try to be our own center, when we try to live as we are our own authority, everything falls apart around us. But in Mark chapter one, Jesus steps on the scene with a new announcement. He says, this kingdom, it's come near to you again. Something's changing now. Something is shifting. Jesus says, I'm here to tell you that heaven is closer than you think it is. It's not just something that is out there in the future. I think all of us in some way, shape or form, whatever our relationship is to church or to God in this place, we have an imagination about what heaven might be like. We can create something in our mind, but Jesus says it's actually close. It's not just far off. It's here, and I'm about to show you what it looks like. He says the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent. We don't like that word very much, do we? Anyone else in the room or online just cringe when you, someone hears, like you hear that word Repent. This is like what I picture when I hear that word repent. I, I picture like an angry preacher standing on this like street corner, yelling at people, telling them to repent or they're going to get, receive the judgment of God. You get that kind of picture? It's like, uh, don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me to repent. Don't judge me. Like that's sort of the feeling we get when we hear these words. But when Jesus says this in this announcement, when he says repent and believe the good news, is that what Jesus is doing? Is that what he's trying to make us feel like when he asks us to repent? Is he playing on our fear of judgment to try and present good news to us? Is it, have you ever had someone give you good news in a really bad way? Are they, like, this is great, but this part's going to suck. You know, like, is that what Jesus is doing? And why would we need to repent 
in order to believe good news. I remember like years ago, I was a youth pastor and I was assigned a a preaching topic, probably on a long weekend in the middle of summer. (laughs) But I had to preach on, on repentance. And I was like, thank you, pastor, for this. And I was talking to one of my friends about it. I was like, man, I have to preach on repentance. This is going to suck. And my friend, as sincere as can be, he says, repentance? I love repentance. He says, what a gift that God gives us. And it started to reshape my understanding and my experience of repentance, listening to my friend talk about it. Because repentance is not meant to strike fear in our hearts. It's meant to stir hope in our hearts. Because to repent means simply to reverse course, to change direction. It means to change our mind about something, to reconsider beliefs or actions in an area. And Jesus makes this announcement. He's saying, reverse your course, change your direction and believe the good news that I'm telling you. When you hear good news, how do you typically react? Here's my hunch for most of us is that we're so used to hearing bad news all the time that we don't really know what to do with good news. Like in any given week, how many times do you read or hear or see bad news? Another thing that's going on in the world, another news about corruption, whatever it might be, you just see bad news. And we can become so skeptical that we don't even know what to do with good news, or we even take it a step further, and we actually, in our minds, somehow twist good news to be bad news because we're a little more comfortable with bad news, I think. And this gets wired so deeply in us that we actually need to repent in order to believe good news that we hear. We have to change the way we think. We have to turn and change the direction of our life and our thinking to a degree to even believe good news. So what's the good news that Jesus is calling us to repent and believe? The good news that Jesus is talking about, he uses this term that we often call gospel. He says, repent and believe the gospel, the good news. This word gospel is actually not an exclusively religious or Christian word. It was borrowed from the culture around it. The gospel was news that changed things significantly in a meaningful way. So when a king would be born or an army was off to battle and they'd won a victory, someone would come and they would bring a gospel to those and say, something's changed. There's been a shift that's taken place. Like something's happened on our behalf. This was a gospel. Timothy Keller says, a gospel is an announcement of something that has happened in history, something that's been done for you that changes your status forever. And Jesus says, the kingdom has come near. Repent and believe the gospel. See, the good news, the gospel that Jesus is going to unpack does not mean just good news in the sense of daily good news. Oh, that's nice. It's not average news. It's history-shaping news. It's news that changes our status forever. And it's this. It's gospel. Gospel is the difference between Christianity and all other religious systems. Even no religious system. This is a little bit of a a simplification, but if I could boil it down, I would say this. Christianity is not about good advice. It's about good news. See, many other religions, essentially, they tell us what we must do in order to get to God. 
in order for us to move from where we are to, to, to the place where God is. It's, these systems say, if you do this, and if you get to this point, and if you accomplish these things, and if you become this person, then you'll be right with God. Then you'll be enlightened. Then you will reach this state of utopia that you're looking for. These other systems are about good advice. But Christianity is different. Because when Jesus says to repent and believe the good news, he's not just offering you good advice. He's not just offering us a to-do list to say, if you do all these things and tick off these boxes, then you'll be right with God. Then you'll be forgiven of your sin. Christianity is gospel. It's an announcement of something that's been done that's changed our status. And this gospel, this news is not about what we must do, but it's about what God has done on our behalf. The gospel is not about how we can get to God through our effort and our work and our striving, but about how God has come to us in the person of Jesus. And when we hear the gospel, it's meant to lift a burden off of us, never put a new one on us. So this good news, this gospel that Jesus came and announced, it would become more clearly understood through his life and teaching. And we would see that Jesus himself would pay the penalty for the sins of humanity. This is what's changing. This is the gospel that Jesus is proclaiming. He's saying that he himself would redeem what the sin and rebellion of humanity had lost by trying to be leaders of our own lives. He would lift the burden and penalty of sin off of our shoulders so that we could walk in life with God. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is history-shaping news. It's status-changing news. It's not just good advice. And this is what Jesus is inviting us into through this announcement. He's saying, repent from trying to be the leader of your own life. Turn around from thinking that the systems and kingdoms of the world will lead you to where you want to go. Stop trying to get to God through your own goodness, your own strength, and your own striving. Turn around from all of that and believe the good news. Believe what I can do on your behalf. Receive the gospel. Repent and believe the good news, Jesus says. What does that actually look like, though, in a more practical sense? What does it mean? What does it look like tomorrow? When it, I'm gonna, I, what does it mean for me to repent and believe the good news? You see, we make a mistake when we add up our Christian faith to just something that's about intellectual assent or just about belief because it's belief that's meant to lead to a different kind of action, a different type of life. It's meant to change something in us. Jesus didn't come just to save us from our sins but he came to call us into a new way of life. He came to call us to follow him. To repent and believe is more than just an exercise of our minds, but it's a choice of who we will follow. The gospel is not just about choosing good advice. It's about being called to follow a king. And when we follow Mark's line of thinking, this is how he lays it out. Because after Jesus announces that his kingdom is near, after he, he, he calls those who were hearing to repent and believe, the next thing we see Jesus do is call people to follow him, to be his disciples. Because to repent and believe, the good news looks like following 
Jesus. I remind us what it says in verse 16 to 20. It says, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. There's something really significant, profound even, about this call that I think has implications for you and I and what it means to repent and believe the good news. You see these men, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, they were fishermen. And they're literally in the middle of their work day. They're fixing their nets. They're working with their dad. They're doing all the things that they do. They're in the middle of the family business. And at the invitation of Jesus to follow him, they drop everything. Like imagine you're in the middle of work. You just drop your tools and you just walk away. Dad's like, what are you doing? Like grab that net. Where are you headed off to? What's happening? They walk away from their nets. They walk away from their family to follow Jesus. And here's why it's significant. In this culture, you received your identity from your family. Meaning this, if your father was a carpenter, you would be a carpenter. If your father was a fisherman, you would be a fisherman. It was your role to take on the family business. You find your identity, your your space in society based on these things. And so when these men walk away from their family and their vocation to follow Jesus, it's significant because the call of Jesus disrupted everything in their life. They're walking away from the thing that they knew would give them security, the thing they knew would give them identity, the thing that they, they knew that they could do because they'd been doing it their whole life. Because for them to respond to the invitation to follow Jesus meant they were to give Jesus first priority in their life. It wasn't something they did on the side. It wasn't something they added to their already full life. It became priority. See, in our culture, it's not a big deal for us to leave our family, to go off and carve out our own identities or choose different priorities. But if Jesus calls us to follow follow him and he says, I want priority over your career, that becomes significant. All of a sudden, that costs us something. If Jesus calls us to follow him, but says, I want priority over how you spend your time and your resources, all of a sudden, that comes with a cost. That's disruptive to us. If Jesus says, I want you to follow me, but I'm going to decide what is right and true, not you or the culture around you, that begins to cost us something. See, many of us, if we're honest, we have a list of ifs when it comes to following Jesus. I'll follow Jesus if I get the family that I want, married in the time that I have chosen. I'll follow Jesus if I get the level of comfort I still want in my life. I'll follow Jesus if I get to call the shots in this area. I'll follow Jesus if I get to pursue this career. And you can fill in those blanks any way that you like. But I think the truth is, whatever that if is for you and for me, that's your king. That thing has priority. That thing has authority in your life. But Jesus says, I want priority in your life. I want to be first. He says, I've got really good news for you. Better than you can imagine, but it's going to require you to leave behind some things. It's going to mean you have to step away from the things that you once found comfortable, the things that you once found your identity in. 
I have good news for you, but in order to receive it, I have to be king. You can't be king of your own life anymore. So to repent and believe is more than just something we do with our minds. It's not just something we do at the level of belief. It's something we do with our entire life where we make Jesus king. To repent and believe the good news means that Jesus becomes the supreme passion of our life over every other thing. And that might sound like we stand to lose much to do that. And in a sense, we really do. We stand to lose a lot. But at the very same time, in making Jesus king, we stand to gain everything. Because he said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. And it's for you. Worship team, you can get ready to join me as we prepare to wrap up. Jesus says the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As we continue to look at the life of Jesus through the pages of the gospel, we see that Jesus did not just talk about a kingdom that was near. He didn't just make an announcement, but he also embodied this kingdom. In his life, we see the kind of kingdom he's talking about. We see the nature of this kingdom that's both here and it's coming. It's now and it's not yet. And through the life of Jesus, we see this kingdom. We see heaven break into the present. If you just skim really quickly through some of the rest of the pages of just Mark's gospel, here's some of the things that you'll see and notice that happen in and through the life of Jesus. We see Jesus teach with a whole new authority. He casts out a demon. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. He heals many in the city. He touches and heals a man with leprosy. He forgives sins and heals a paralyzed man. He eats and drinks with sinners, those who are far from God. He heals on the Sabbath day and he challenges the religious system around the Sabbath. He appoints his disciples. He teaches about the kingdom. He calms a storm. He restores a demon-possessed man. He raises a girl from the dead. He heals a woman who'd been sick for 12 years. He sends out his disciples in the power of the Holy Spirit. He feeds 5,000 with just a couple of fish and some bread. He walks on water. He shares the kingdom with Gentiles and outsiders. He heals a deaf and mute man. He feeds 4,000 again. He challenges the corrupt religious systems again. He heals a blind man. He predicts his death. He goes to the cross. He dies. He rises again and he ascends to the Father. This isn't just so we can be impressed with Jesus. There's a bigger picture that he's trying to pull us into. It's to give us a vision of what the kingdom of God is like. To give us a taste of what is coming, but also a longing for what is possible when Jesus is king of our life. Because the things that Jesus did and the things that Jesus experienced are for us today. It's not in our own strength. It's not in our own power. You and I are not Jesus, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, this is the reality that can be ours because when Jesus is king, we receive new authority. We receive equipping for spiritual battle. We receive healing and the authority to lay hands on others and see them healed. We receive forgiveness and the command to extend forgiveness to others. We receive love over fear, peace over panic, everything we should ever need. We receive purpose. We receive victory over death. 
as we respond to the invitation of King Jesus to follow him with our entire life, we step into and live in the kingdom that he talked about. And we see that it really is good news. Something's been done, something's been changed. Jesus is king. And we see that in, in, while embodying this kingdom, Jesus is not like the kings of our world. He's very different. His life and his priorities, his values are upside down from what we see in the authority of those in our world. Yet as we follow him, and as, Holy, as his Holy Spirit empowers us to be like him, we begin to see the power of his kingdom in and through our lives. This will be much of our focus throughout the rest of this series as we put our attention on King Jesus. But today, what does it mean or look like for us to respond to God's word as we begin this series throughout the fall? I think it's wrapped up in that word, repent. Whether you're brand new to faith, exploring faith, or you, whether you follow Jesus for a really long time, we all need to turn around sometimes. We all need to change direction. We all need a shift in the way that we think and what we believe. What do you need to turn away from so that you can turn fully to the good news of Jesus' kingdom that he's bringing in? What kingdoms have you tried to build for yourself? What ifs have you attached to following Jesus? There's one king whose kingdom outlasts all the rest. And his invitation to you and I, he says, repent and believe the good news. It's for you. Can we stand together? We're gonna sing in response. And while we do that in a minute, I'm gonna pray, but I wanna invite some of the prayer team, the pastoral team, they'll be up here on the side at the front. And as we, as we sing and respond, if, if you'd like prayer for anything, we'd wanna invite you to come and, and get prayer. And we're gonna believe that we're gonna experience the reality of God's kingdom break out into our lives. Do you need comfort? Do you need healing? Do you need vision? Do you need direction? Do you need wisdom? All of that is part and parcel in what Jesus said is near, his kingdom. Or maybe you just realize that like, hey, I've been building my life the wrong way and I just need God to help me repent. We'd love to pray with you if you'd like that. But can we just close our eyes for a minute? I just want to create a space in a moment for you to respond in your heart. Holy Spirit, you're so kind. You're so patient that when we find ourselves off track, when we find ourselves building our own kingdoms, you don't toss us to the side, but by your love and grace and kindness, you draw us back. And you say, all that was there is still true for you today. And so I pray that you would make clear in our hearts where we need to repent and turn to you and believe the fullness of the good news that you came to proclaim, that your kingdom is near. God, it's our desire that you would be king of our lives. 
not just on the side, not just king over some parts, but king over all of it. And so I pray that you would give us the courage and strength and all that we need to follow you fully, even if that means a step of faith and a risky thing to step away from what we've known, to step into what it means to follow you. I pray that you would give us the courage to do so. Holy Spirit, come and minister to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.